Hey family, I'm Joanna and I'm Shannon and, and we're, we're just ordinary Catholics. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gift of friendship that we share. We thank you for all of the blessings that you've poured out in our lives. We ask that you enter our hearts and help us recognize the parts in our life where we can be more like you and show more forgiveness, more compassion, and more love. We ask that you open our hearts to see you and to know you and to serve you better throughout this week and everything that we do. We ask all these things in your most holy and mighty name. Amen. In the name amen. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to our third episode of our sacrament series. We're going kind of in order here. We started with baptism and then reconciliation. And then typically the next sacrament you receive is? First Eucharist. Yay. Hooray. What the heck is a Eucharist? Well, in Greek, Eucharista, is it Greek or Latin? It's Greek. Okay, Greek. Eucharista actually means Thanksgiving. That's and so pretty. I know. I like that. I think in in a in a lot of ways this is one of the things that is very divisive about Christianity and one of the things that kind of sets Catholics apart from a lot of other Protestant Christian religions is because of the church's teaching on Eucharist on communion. So typically the sacrament and if you don't know what a sacrament is, it's a you can listen to our one on baptism we kind of go into what a sacrament is. But um, it refers to the receiving of the body and blood of Christ. Uh, we typically see second graders or children who are, and I'm using air quotes here, at the age of reason, which I think is probably actually sooner than second grade. Because I feel like, Shannon, you have kids. Did your kids, before they were in second grade, know like right from wrong? And Oh, yeah. And my oldest actually wanted to receive communion at age four. And he went so far as to... <laughs> Uh, go up in the communion line to receive his blessing. And he turned around to me and said, I'm actually seven and winked at me. So he lied to a priest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did he receive then? No, the priest figured it out. It's like a couple more years for you. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the second grade is usually when we first receive this sacrament and so the body and the blood are actually, they're both considered the Eucharist. So they're called the different species of the Eucharist. So you can actually receive just the blood or just the body, and it still counts as receiving communion. Um, and a, a big word that we'll probably say a lot here is transubstantiation. I love that word. Oh, me too. It's so big. So it's a big word. And what it means is trans is a changing and substant. Substance. is a substance. Right. So it's a changing of a substance. So we're taking ordinary elements of bread and wine and the priest who's in persona Christi, so in the person of Christ, says some words, does some things, and it's, tra it's transubstantiated from bread and wine to the body and blood. So when we're talking about Eucharist, that's what we mean. We mean the body and the blood of Christ. And again, we'll, we'll go into this a little bit more uh, in a few minutes, but just understand that we're coming from this, uh, from a Catholic perspective. So if you are Christian and you found yourself on our podcast, welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope that this kind of 
just helps explain a little bit further um, what exactly First Eucharist is for Catholics. There are certain requirements for a piece of bread that is about to become the body of Christ. It has to be unleavened, made of wheat, flour, and water. And that's because this is the same type of bread that Jesus used as the Last Supper. Okay, so I actually have to say, when I was like putting the podcast notes together, this blew my mind and I like freaked out the other day because I was like, this is just so wild to me. So kind of going into a history lesson here. So we use unleavened bread because that's what Jesus used at the, at the Last Supper. So the reason that Jesus was using unleavened bread at the Last Supper actually goes all the way back to the time of Moses because when at the Passover, which is what happened in Egypt during the time of Moses, the Hebrews had to flee. They had to leave Egypt. They didn't have time to let their bread rise, so they took it as it was, which is where we get the unleavened part from, and they fled Egypt. So since then, in the Jewish tradition at Passover— which is what's happening on Holy Thursday, which is the Thursday before Easter, it always features unleavened bread. So because Jesus was a Jew, they were celebrating Passover at the Seder meal. They used unleavened bread, and that is why Catholics at Mass use unleavened bread. Isn't that wild? So like this is even more than just like, this goes back even further than just the time of Jesus. The reason we use unleavened bread goes back to the time of Moses. I love how... A lot of our Catholic roots are from Jewish tradition, and this is one of them, a huge one. And then there's the wine, which, as you were saying, you don't have to have both because they both are part of Jesus, which is actually really convenient if, for example, you have a wheat allergy and cannot consume the body of Christ. You can just consume the blood of Christ or in these times of COVID, when it's just too germy to all drink out of the same cup, we're not actually, while I personally do miss having the blood, we as the communion of the church aren't, church aren't missing something. It's not like you have to have both. Right. So and the wine can actually be any kind of wine. It doesn't have to be red wine. Uh, it can be white wine too, but it has to to be wine. It can't just be juice. That is true. And why is that? Because Jesus didn't serve juice at the Last Supper. He served wine. The wine is served in a cup, and it's supposed to be a cup made of uh, precious metal. Metals like gold and silver are most commonly used, and if it's not pure gold, the vessel is at least gold-plated. We don't use copper and brass because they rust, and you don't want Jesus covered in rust, right? I would not want to receive a piece of Jesus covered in rust. That's all I'm going to say. Well, because the rust isn't Jesus, right? Exactly. Also gross. Yeah, really gross. And it causes nausea. I read that. Rust. Yeah, eating rust. I wouldn't know. Me neither, but apparently people in, I don't know, back in the day figured it out. We also don't use glass because uh, glass is just breakable. Speaking of breakable, actually, at Christmas Mass a couple of years ago, I was sitting very close to where the EM was passing out the blood, and a slosh of it fell out of the cup. 
Oh my gosh. And I saw it and nobody else saw it. And I waited a little while because I was nervous. It was Christmas. There were a lot of people there and I kind of nudged my husband and he's like, you need to say something immediately because he had just been confirmed. And so he learned that there is a special procedure. Like Mm -hmm. if you drop a host, you can pick it up and eat it right away. But if you drop, um, you know, a drop of the blood, you can't lick it off the carpet. Oh my gosh. So I just tapped him on the shoulder and I said, excuse me, uh, there's Jesus on the ground right there. And he uh, stood over it so nobody else would step on it. And then afterwards, um, he did this procedure to kind of take care of it where they pour holy water over it and blot it up in a certain way. Um, yeah. Using certain cloths. Yeah. I think you have to use corporals for that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very... uh, Oh my gosh, how awkward. (laughs) Especially for me. (laughs) Yeah. I think that happened... I was at a mass in England and the same thing happened. But it was like the whole... Like somebody dropped the cup. Oh my gosh. The cup. And then the priest was like this really old, (sighs) really old priest missing most of his teeth and he was like all disgruntled and he like threw a corporal on the ground to cover it and they took care of it after mass but it was just it was just like a comedy of errors like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh I've also seen the bowl of hosts dropped too oh my gosh and I think I think there's actually stories of saints I could not tell you who this saint is I can't remember off the top of my head but there was some like battle or war going on and they like raided the a chapel at a church or something and um just spilled Jesus everywhere all over the floor and like every day um this girl would come and she would just stoop down and like eat a piece of Jesus off the floor and she did like one a day until they were all gone or something but I can't remember who that saint is I also remember that story I think I saw it in did you show it in a video did <laughs> I, I? a couple years ago. I don't even remember <laughs> I think that's how I heard it it was in a video This is one of the times that a priest is in persona Christi, as you said in the beginning. And also we talked about in our reconciliation episode, this is one of the times that a priest is acting as the hands of Christ. Yeah, that's exactly right. I know Catholics get a lot of flack for this and a lot of questions and people call us crazy or we get called cannibals because we're eating Jesus <gasps> or you're killing Jesus every time at mass. But <gasps> we're not actually cannibals. No? No, because a cannibal like eats <laughs> a serious person. <laughs> um, yeah, cannibalism is serious and everything, but it's actually not cannibalism because a cannibal eats the species, the same species, and destroys them. And by taking Jesus's body and blood, we are not destroying him because he is not dead. He is alive. So that's, Joanna just mic dropped. (laughs) Jesus is not dead, baby. Oh my gosh. Also, we can turn to scripture for this one. Jesus says in John 6, 53, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says it several times. And oh, he yeah. says it literally. He doesn't say, eat something like my bread. He yeah. says, this is, eat something like my bread. 
Eat something like bread and just think of me. Yeah, it's kind of like my body. It's kind of my blood, or it's, it's reminiscently. No, my he blood. he literally says this is my body, and this is yeah. My he blood. says eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And it's funny because in that whole passage, in that chapter six section of John, he says it multiple times, and people are like, "No, Jesus, certainly you don't mean that." And he says no, really, like you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood if you want to have eternal life. And it says in that chapter that a lot of that teaching made people really uncomfortable and a lot of people left. They stopped following Jesus. Yeah. And he even challenged his disciples, like, you don't have to be here if you don't want to eat my body and drink my blood. You can leave. Yeah. And Peter says to Jesus, and he like specifically calls out Peter and is like, you're going to go too, bro? And Peter is like, you know, he says, Lord, to whom can we go? And he decides to stay and is basically like, where else am I going to go? So I don't know. I just, that whole reading for me, I think, really solidified like my belief in the body and blood mm-hmm. um, of Christ at, at the Catholic Mass. But to understand the whole sacrament of First Eucharist, you really have to understand like the Catholic teaching of what Eucharist is and, and what we really believe in and why, why we're really eating the body and blood of Christ. And that's why, because he said, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. So, okay, dude, sure. Thank you. <laughs> As all, I shouldn't say all, sorry. For most sacraments, there is a time of preparation Either you prepare to receive the sacrament or as of in the case of an infant who's getting baptized, the parents prepare so that they actually know what they're saying yes to. And this is no different. There is such an emphasis on the intimacy of receiving Jesus into our bodies. And because we believe that we are receiving the body and blood of Jesus himself, there are certain things we have to keep in mind as we receive. So this is part of the reason why it's important to go through preparation and have a first communion. and Or a first reconciliation before right. you have first communion. Oh, yeah. And that's because there are certain kind of, I don't want to say requirements, but there are typically certain things that we do to examine our own consciences and figure out where are we in relationship with God. Are we, and it's called a state of grace, which basically means like, are we in a place to properly receive Christ? One of the prayers that I always say before, I say two prayers every time before I receive communion and they are uh, the act of contrition. And um, there's a prayer that we used to sing at camp, but I just kind of say it in my head and it's Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true with Thanksgiving. I will be a living sanctuary for you. I love that song. Me too. But what that's basically saying is like Jesus is entering our bodies and that's the most intimately we, the most intimate way we can know him. And so I want to be prepared to house the body of Christ. So that basically means like no mortal sin can be in your conscience. And I know Shannon and I have brought up mortal versus venial sin. And we will have a podcast that is dedicated to talking about mortal versus venial sin and all that stuff. But basically you can't or you shouldn't receive if you have a mortal sin um, on your conscience. As for the venial sins, they're actually forgiven every time you receive communion. 
Which is super cool. I did not know that until like a year or two ago. Well, yeah, it makes sense because we're all sinners and we sin every day. And we don't go to confession or reconciliation every day. I guess some people could, but our church requires it only if, one, you're in a state of mortal sin or our precept, one of the precepts of the church is to go once a year. Mm -hmm. So, but we sin every day. So how the way you reconcile that is. Yeah. And actually at the beginning of mass, we do like a mini examination of conscience in order that later in the mass, we might be prepared to receive. That's like when the priest says the, the, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having a, oh wait, no, that's the act of contrition. What's the one that you say where you like beat your breast? Through my fault, through my, my fault. fault. What, through but my what is that? How does that prayer fault? even start? Why can't I think of it? You put me on the spot. <laughs> I know. I can't. I don't even remember what that prayer is called. Anyway, but it's in the beginning of Mass that we say it. Um, some other kind of just things to note is you do have to be a Catholic who is already prepared for the sacrament of Eucharist in order to receive communion. And that's that's mostly because of the way Catholic, of what Catholics believe that it is, because it's the body and blood. Like if you're not properly prepared or you don't know what you're receiving, then you can't really be properly prepared to, to receive him. That being said, I have seen people accidentally receive. Oh yeah. It happens all the time. And Well, let me be perfectly clear. I'm not telling anybody who has never received their first Eucharist to go out and, and quote unquote, accidentally receive it. (laughs) Give it a try. Let us know how it tastes. If you have, I believe there's a... There's a grace in that. There's a grace and maybe God's trying to reach you. Yeah. I think I heard a story once of... I don't think it could hurt you. Yeah. Of a, a wedding and half of the family was like... Hin- was like Hindu or something like they weren't even a branch of Christianity but the couple was Catholic and out of respect the family like saw that people were going up to receive communion so they all got up and they were just doing what everybody else was doing and like the whole family received their first communion that day and, I'm, and in my mind I'm like what a beautiful story like just out of respect for somebody else like this other culture this other religion that they received and of course like not all of them understood what they were maybe doing and they were just doing it out of as, as a sign of respect but you know I think that God does have a way of of reaching everybody and you know I, I don't think that there's con like mortal consequences for anybody who does receive either accidentally or without fully understanding what Catholics believe like I don't yeah, like you said, I don't think it could be a bad thing unless you do it with malintent. But Right, I think it's all about the intent. Yeah. Um, and that being said, uh, everybody is welcome to come and celebrate Mass in the Catholic Church. Absolutely. And if you find yourself there and have never received communion during communion time, you're invited to come up to the altar and receive a blessing. And all you have to do, I guess we'll talk about the do's and don'ts of receiving, but all you have to do is have your arms crossed over your chest and it signals to the priest or whoever is administering the communion that you would like a blessing. Yeah. 
<clears throat> because it's communion and we're all called to be in communion, like we still want everyone to be able to participate. And I think that's the difference too, because the Eucharist is a noun and communion is an action. Right. Right. So communion is sharing together as a community. And that's why like a lot of other Christian and Protestant religions have communion because that's the action of, you know, communing with one another, but they don't necessarily have the Eucharist, which is the the noun. We use the words communion and Eucharist interchangeably. It's also referred to, this is one of my favorite things, the source and summit of our faith. Yes. I love that mountain reference in there. Got to slip it in somewhere, maybe. (laughs) The summit, the apex, the top, the the most, I guess. And I love that. As we talked about in our previous podcasts on sacraments, there's always a physical substance or symbolism that equates to each sacrament. Right. So an, an outward sign of an inward reality. Correct. Or a visible sign of an invisible reality. Yeah. There we go. All of I it. got it. All of it. So for Eucharist, we have a cross, which is when I talk to my kids about Eucharist during Mass and everything, uh, it used to be the altar servers, but now it's just the priest because of COVID set the table and this all happens around a table because communion right and we're community around a table and this is like having a meal with a family so the priest has all his tools I guess a cup uh yeah I mean you need the pieces to set the table right, right and then he makes a cross over all of his pieces so the first thing is the cross And then we have the bread, which will become the body or the food of our life. We have the wine, which will become the blood that Jesus shed for our sins. And then the priest lays his hands over the bread and the wine. My favorite part of the Eucharistic prayer is when he says the part about Jesus coming into the bread and the wine Mm -hmm. like the dewfall. It's just so beautiful. I love that imagery. Yeah, because you you never see, every morning the grass is wet, and unless the sprinklers were running, you saw that, you never see the grass becoming wet. It's just... You wake up and there's dew it's on the dew. grass. Yeah. And sometimes, I guess, if you are up early enough, it's not wet yet. And then as the sun heats up the earth, before the sun even rises, the dew is is on the grass. You don't see it happening. It just happens. It just is. Yeah. And the, I, in yeah. the same I way, love that imagery. you don't see like a rumble or like a melting of anything or bubbling of the wine. Right. It just happens. And it just is almost magically. Sorry. <laughs> it's your face. It's like, <laughs> I love how I'm like a hood. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's just such beautiful imagery for yeah. me in that prayer. For sure, for sure. So kind of like we mentioned before, when it comes to if you are not receiving but you still want to go up, you kind of cross your arms over your chest and you'll get a blessing instead of receiving the Eucharist. And when you're receiving Eucharist, now I'm going to explain this as if we're not in the middle of a pandemic. I was going to say there's an added element now. Yeah, so for example, you can receive in the hand or on the tongue. 
Uh, I actually prefer to receive on the tongue, which I can't now because for obvious reasons. Um, but, and, and for me, I used to receive on the hand cause that's what everybody did when I was growing up. And then I heard a talk once from one of our friends. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> and he just spoke about the reverence of the Eucharist and like how sometimes our hands touch a lot of things and they can get really dirty sometimes. And this, he gave this talk at a retreat and I'm looking at my hands and I'm like, I've been in the dirt. I've been setting up stuff. I've been like, I mean, my hands were just plain dirty. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do I want to put Jesus Christ into these dirty, dirty hands of mine? And my, you know, in my head, my answer was no, I want to receive him just directly, um, just to preserve this, the sacredness of that to me. So that's Meanwhile, why I like to receive on the tongue. I prefer to receive in my hand because when I was younger, uh, probably middle school or high school, my sister and I tried to receive on our tongue and she didn't open her mouth wide enough and it hit her tooth and we got really embarrassed. <laughs> oh my gosh. So for me, it brings me too much. What ifs, what ifs, I can't handle yeah. this. What One if he time, touches my mouth or whatever? <laughs> One time I went to receive on the tongue and the lady who was, the EM who was giving me communion, like was like, oh, when she saw me open my mouth. And See she, that to me. Wait, it gets better. <laughs> she got all like annoyed about it and she threw it in my mouth and it like, what hit, did you miss? It hit the back of my throat. So I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. I'm choking on Jesus right now. <laughs> so, so there are those two ways during COVID that is suspended. And now we, right. Everybody recedes up. in the hand. Um, it's a slow procession up to the Eucharist. Everybody kind of falls in line. And it's a great time to just clear your heart, clear your mind, focus on what's about to happen. Um, right before you get up to the person, the EM, the extraordinary minister. Of a lot of people communion. call them Eucharistic ministers, but actually the correct term is extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. You do a bow. To me, that's kind of like a... Handshake, or that's what I'm envisioning, that I'm giving a hug to God. Hey, God, I'm here. Yeah, just to show the reference, like, yeah. I know you're a king, and you have I know you're yourself. here, and I'm here, too. And then it gets placed. You make a little cup. A little throne of your hands. <laughs> yeah, and it gets placed into your left hand. You pick it up with your right hand, put it in your mouth. Now, with COVID, you also have to decide when and how you're going to remove your mask. They yeah. recommend removing it right before. Like when you're the next person in line. <laughs> Or just like pull your mask out and slip, you know. Well, that I think that's there if there's too much. Yeah, I think they're worried that if there's too much movement, that Jesus is going to get dropped somehow, dropped some or rubbed against the fabric of the mask or whatever. And that's it. Yeah, you go back to your seat and you pray. I actually take this time to watch everybody else receive communion, and I just get very humbled by how many people have the time and the relationship and I love it uh, it's one of my favorite parts yeah. is watching other people partake in something that is so important to me yeah I I love the idea too that you know Jesus always teaches us that we're all brothers and sisters every single one of us no matter what 
is the color of your skin, no matter your, you know, orientation, no matter anything. You are a child of God created in the image and likeness of God and worthy of his love. And he wants to be with us in the most intimate way possible in the Eucharist. So knowing I've received a Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and so have all of these other people is so special. I think it's just another way to kind of connect us, you know, at the Eucharistic feast as the, really the family of God. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was raised Catholic and the te- this teaching of the church was just something that I grew up with. It was something that I always knew about and accepted. And I never really imagined the idea of communion being anything else until I went to like, I think it was like a Methodist church or something. And I walked up and there was like a loaf of bread that you ripped a piece off of. And then a little cup of grape juice that you drank from. And I was a little bit like, I don't know what this is, but this isn't the Eucharist to me. And I, I understood that from a young age. Um, and it, and it just felt so different than what the Eucharist, receiving the Eucharist is like at like a Catholic mass. That's not to knock the Methodists. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just like pointing out that it, it is different. Um, and I think and as, a, as an adult, I really understand the difference in, in the Catholic understanding of communion. And, um, you know, it's not to say that, uh, that other forms of communion are not good. Uh, but, you know, because remembering the Last Supper in communion is a good thing. Uh, but recently, you know, my, my faith has been really challenged. And there were some moments where I thought, like, am I ever going to be able to receive again? I don't know. And, and that thought terrified me. I mean, I was in tears over, like, just the idea of, oh, my gosh, what if I can't ever receive again? And But, you know, then I thought to myself, the same thing that Peter did, where else am I going to go? Like there's, there's nowhere else that I can go that can offer me the body and blood of Christ. And like that is the true presence of God. And that's, that's what we believe as Catholics. And having received him so intimately, like how could I ever be satisfied with less than, less than that, you know? So it's a, it's a big deal in the Catholic church, I guess. That's what I'm saying. That's what kept me Catholic in South Carolina. There were way better places to worship, in my opinion, mm-hmm. than the churches, the Catholic churches in my town. I didn't like them, but it, it came down. And I tried to go to other ones. Episcopal yeah. is pretty close to Catholicism. They do some of the same readings and just to, to kind of subsidize me. And uh, and I, I came back to that. I, I Where else am I going to go? Yeah. Well, if you have any communion or Eucharist stories that you want to share with us, uh, we would love to hear about them or maybe your own relationship with the Eucharist. Uh, You can DM us at an ordinary Catholic on Instagram. Um, We love this sacrament. So we're praying for you. Please pray for us. And we'll We'll see see you in our prayers. prayers. Bye. Bye.